23, verse 16. Are you doing good? All right, some of you, every one of you are done with Christmas shopping or none of you are going to wait until December 24th. Uh, and, and by the way, like 7-Eleven is open until, I don't know, you can probably get a gift there or something like that. But uh, I, would, I would encourage you not to do that. So John chapter 3, John chapter 3, uh, you are very familiar with this scripture. Would you just, um, I know some of them, they're, they're, going, they're going to the offering, but would you just pray with me? If you want to open your hands, you can. If you just want to listen, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you came to be the Messiah. And you came to set us free of our sins and give us life. And not only eternal life, but you're our, our teacher. You're, you're our healer. You're our comfort and counselor through the Holy Spirit. We are so grateful for the powerful message of Christmas. I pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds and our spirits to the Word of God. And that, Lord, we would receive and unwrap the gifts of Christmas. The gifts that you give us, Lord God. And I pray that then we would share these gifts to those around us who are in desperate need of these wonderful, powerful gifts. And all God's people said, Amen. John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. I believe I have it up here. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. But whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only. How many of you would agree that a gift given to you unopened does you no good? Right? Has, has anyone, you have ever received a Christmas gift or a gift and you just didn't, you didn't open it and it sat for a year, five years, ten years? What good is that gift to you? I mean, most of us are like, oh, thank you. And of course, some of you like, you know, try to be nice, polite, and then the people leave, and then you take it home, and then you open it, and you're like, wow, you know, whatever. So, so think about this. This, this, this story, this, some say it could be true, some say it was a modern parable, but this was printed in the Baltimore Sun in 1994, and it was under the Dear Abby article. And I want you to listen to this, because today we're talking about the gifts of Christmas, the gifts of Christ, the gifts of God, and those gifts have to be unwrapped to be used and for it to benefit us. So here it is. Um, Dear Abby, a young man from a wealthy family was about to graduate from high school. It was the custom in that neighborhood for the parents to give the, to, to give the graduate an automobile. Bill and his father spent months looking at cars. And the week before graduation, they found the perfect car. On the eve of his graduation, his father handed him a gift-wrapped Bible. Bill was so angry that he threw the Bible down and stormed out of the house. He and his father never saw each other again. And years later, it was the news of his father's death that brought Bill home again. As he sat one night going through his father's possessions that he was to inherit, he came across the Bible his father had given him. He brushed away the dust and opened it to find a cashier's check dated the day of his graduation in the exact amount of the car they had chosen together. And what a sad story that this young man did not open the gift that his father gave him. And you see, the sad, the more sad news is that in life, many of us don't open the gifts that God gives us. And of course, it's a great example that they, they use the Bible. And so unwrapped gifts do no one no good, right? They do you no good. And so there are many gifts. And, and the Christmas message is such a powerful message. And so we, we're like, man, I'm saved. But, but there are so many more gifts, Amen. That little video that showed that Jesus is our healer, our teacher, our guide, our comforter. He is the Prince of Peace. Isn't that exciting? And so this morning I want to talk about it, and if you've got the little red book and you read it or passed it out, the message of Christmas, I'm kind of following the last couple of chapters and I'm just going through their little notes and I wrote, and I'm, hopefully this is from the Lord, is the first one is the unwrapped gifts. The unwrapped gifts. Um, how many of you would agree that God is a constant giver? 
God is a constant giver. In fact, He is the giver of every good thing. James chapter 1, 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Aren't you glad that God doesn't change? His love is constant. And it says, what does it say? Every what? Come on, every what? Some of you are like are on an eggnog overload. And you're like, you've been carbohydrate out and you're starting to fall asleep on me. So we're going to turn the air conditioner on, open the windows. I'm just kidding. Uh, and so, God gives us every good thing. Every good thing. Every good thing. And so a lot of times we go through life, I'm like this. I go through life like, man, Lord, this is just, life's terrible and all that. And, and we have to, I have to be reminded, God is the giver of every good thing. Check this out. It says that He gives us life. He gives us health. He gives us food. Can you imagine? God could have just gave us like this gruel, like oatmeal with no taste. And he said, here you go, eat that. But it's awesome because he gives us different kinds of foods. Isn't this awesome? Are you getting hungry? I have to talk about food. You know, that's just part of the sermon every, almost every Sunday, right? But I'm not going to talk about God's football team, the Denver Broncos. So I just won't talk about that right now. But God is the giver of life, health, food, family, resources, ability, work and rest, day and night, sun and rain, seasons, friends, guidance, answered prayer, grace, and peace and joy. So God is the giver. And the greatest gift, of course, is His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what we're talking about during the Christmas season. And I love it that I go into the stores and I always try to beat the cashier or someone to say Merry Christmas. And a few of them, you know, they're like, same to you, you know. And uh, I, was, I was getting a gift somewhere yesterday and, and I was trying to put the stuff away and the lady's like, Merry Christmas! I'm like, ah, she beat me. I was like, that's awesome. Merry Christmas to you. This is at a, a store, you know, where, you know, it's against the law almost. People complain about that. But Jesus is the greatest gift. And 1 John 4, 9-10 through 10 says, This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved Him, but He first loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus came to set us free from sin. Isn't that awesome? You should be shouting. Oh man, all oh, the Christmas message, pastor, it's boring. It's, it's exciting. Every day, Amen. You are forgiven of your sins because, check this out, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think about that. Think about that. Jesus came to set you free from sin because the wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. But Jesus gave the greatest gift to give us life. This is awesome. Again, you'd be shouting and cheering. Man, this is, this is bigger than like the Redskins winning a football game or something yesterday. Um, sin has its wages. It's death. But the gift of God is life through Jesus Christ. And so the message of Jesus is awesome. Amen? It's awesome. And of course, I, I read this to you last week, and uh, I believe, yeah, and I want to read it to you again. Um, Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that he might receive, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because we are sons. God sent the Spirit of his son into our hearts. And the Spirit who, who calls out, Abba, Father, so we are no longer a slave, but a son. And since we have our son, God has made you, uh, has God, I'm sorry, God has also made you an heir. And so think about this now, the story that I read earlier about the son who spurned his father's gift. And his father, of course, I've read another variation where the father was very rich and, the, you know, and so the son went off and did well. And then, of course, he comes back. And so here, the, the giver of all life is so rich in everything. And a lot of times, you and I, we just we don't unwrap all the gifts of God. And so this scripture reminds us again that there are so many gifts of God to not just survive in life, but to thrive through life. And so this morning, I want to talk about this. Are we going to be like this, this, this 
selfish son who is upset? Or are we going to be, you know what, God, you give us so much gifts, but let me unwrap the gifts, right? I mean, a lot of times we pray, God, give me this, give me this, God, help me this, where are you, God? And God says, I've given you everything that you need to live life and live it to the full. Sometimes we have to unwrap the gifts. Come on, amen? So I want to talk about just the, the few gifts here. You doing good? The first gift is love. Letter, number two, love. Again, I, I read this to you, John 3, 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that He gave. At Christmas, God demonstrates His love for us every, every day of the year. That He sent His Son, born as a human baby, lived among us, was crucified on the cross, was buried, and was resurrected. So the Scripture is very clear. God is love. Say, God is love. Okay? So if God is love and we claim to be followers of Jesus, His love should dwell in us, correct? Come on. And so the greatest gift that we can receive, obviously, from God is love. And then the greatest gift that you can give is love. Now, of course, the, the, the original language, the word here is agape. And, of course, we would say this is unconditional love. It's, it's unmerited favor. It, it's, it's, it's divine love. Correct? Okay? And i got a lot of scriptures, and I'm, I'm sorry, I don't want to bore you, but who doesn't like to receive gifts? Anyone here? Who doesn't like to receive gifts? Anyone here not like to receive gifts? In fact, if you don't want to receive gifts, we're coming to your house on Christmas and we're going to take your gifts and give them to someone who likes to receive gifts. Okay, so everyone in this world, I mean, I don't know anybody that does not like to receive gifts unless, of course, they're Scrooge or something like that. And so check this out. It's kind of long and I'm going to read parts of it. First John 4, 7 through 12. First 7 through 9, first it says, My beloved friends, this is out of the message. It says, Let us continue to love each other since love comes from God and everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with Him. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. So you can't know Him if you don't love Verse 9, this is how God showed His love for us. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. So, okay, there, God is love. And to experience the love of God, we have to love other people. Right? Now, how many of you agree that loving other people sometimes can be a little mm, challenging, difficult, hard, almost impossible, right? I mean, it's easy to love someone who loves you, correct? Correct? It's easy to smile at someone that smiles at you and they're nice, but it's, it's not as easy to love someone who's mean to you, who's nasty, who wants to see you fail. And you see, divine love, let's go on, verse 10, it says, this kind of love we are talking about, not that we once, uh, we once upon a time loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to clear the, away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. Verse 11, my dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. Oh, don't you hate that when God says if we love Him, we should love other people? Come on, right? Isn't that hard? But that's the gift of Christmas. That's the gift of God, amen? No one has seen God ever, but if you love one another, God dwells deeply within us and His love becomes complete in us, perfect love. And it's, again, it's hard to love those who hate us, who are malicious, those who want to hurt us, and it takes a God love, a divine love, to love those. And you see, I, I see in our world lots of hate, lots of injustice, lots of, uh, of violence. And I think the world needs this love of God. And I think it starts with the church. I mean, if we claim that Jesus is love and we claim that God is love and we celebrate, oh, come, let us adore Him, I think that love should be coming out of our lives also. Well, Pastor Stan, you don't understand. This family did this to my family 50 years ago. Really, 50 years ago. 
Maybe some of you were, oh, I mean, and I've told this to you many times that uh, maybe I've given this account. There was a man in, in the last church that we were at. And he, 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 was, he was born in the 40s and his father had fought in World War II for the Americans. And, and he could never, maybe he has later, but he could never forget what the Japanese did when they bombed Pearl Harbor. I mean, he wasn't even, I mean, he's just maybe just born. Uh, but, but he could never forgive the Japanese. I said, I said I'll just say dude because I don't want to tell his name because he could be listening online nowadays. He's an awesome guy. Dude. So I said, hey, that happened probably like you were just born or before you were born. How can you hold that grudge against them? And you're a believer in Christ. The Japanese people are wonderful people. You see, I've, I've met, as, as you, some of you know, I, I, I preach, I've got a little Korean. I mean, I've, I was preaching at a Korean church one time. And God told me to tell those people in, in, in this sermon, one of the sermons I was talking about, I said, some of you have not forgiven what the, the Japanese had done to you during World War II and what the Japanese, the imperialistic army did to, to the Chinese and the, and the Koreans and, and the other groups was, was evil. But I said, if you are a Christian and you are a follower of Christ, you must forgive them. And I remember that, that night, I mean, all these omas and opas, these grandmothers and grandmothers, and some younger people were, were streaming up to the altar crying because they had never forgiven the Japanese. And it was atrocious, talking to my mom and reading history about what the, the imperialistic Japanese soldiers did to the, to the Koreans and the Chinese and those others that they, they would abuse. But you see, God says to us, if Jesus can call out and say, Father, forgive them, because Jesus had people turn on him. His own disciples ran away from him. One of them sold him out for 30 pieces of silver, but Jesus still said, forgive them, Father. And you see, for us, to really experience Christmas, we must say, God, help me to unwrap this kind of love because it's impossible in myself. And you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. There are times when I say, Lord, I, I'm having a hard time loving that person. You have to change my heart because I'm going to be honest with God. I don't want to love that person because they did this. But I want to be like you, Jesus, so I need to forgive them. And I say, forgive me because I want to be like you. And for you this morning, during this Christmas season, to unwrap that kind of love, you must first confess your sin and say, God, I need to forgive them. Please forgive me for holding something against them. Whether they've done something malicious to you, whether they've not, whether it's a historical thing, You've just got to say, God, help me. Let me give you real quick, and I talk about this often. Let me tell you how to have this kind of love. The first is you must spend time with God daily. Come on, you hear me say, turn off all the junk uh, for a while and, and, and get in the Word. Pray. Spend time with God. Amen? Because check this out. This is, this is what later it says. In 1 John 4.20, in that, it's verse 20, it says, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, check out what God says. He is a what? A liar. For anyone, don't you, don't you love that word? Except for when it's applied to you and I. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must love his brother. Ah, oh, pastor, see, brother, that, I don't have to love other people. No, God says love all people. If you, just, you want to get technical about it, just start looking through all the scripture and you can see. So again, how do we do this? Surrender your hearts, your hurts, your pride, your pain, your fear to God. Spend time with God. Ask God to give you this agape love. It's hard. I'm honest. It is hard. But that's the greatest gift. And then you need to redefine your definition of love. Isn't it funny? Like, I mean, I, I would say, in, in the English language, we say, oh, I love Jesus, right? And they say, oh, I love God's football team, the Denver Broncos. Or I love pizza. Oh, I, I love... But see, that word love is, is a big word and it's, it's got different definitions. I mean, I don't love pizza like I love God. 
Right? I mean, pizza is just, I enjoy that. I'm not God's football team, the Broncos. I don't love them like I love Jesus. I'm glad for that. And so we have to redefine our word, our definition of love. Amen? So if, if you want to experience real love, you've got to change your definition of love. And you see, a lot of times love in this world is what people do for me, then I'll do for them. Here it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Hit it up, guys. Love is patient. Oh, aren't you glad love is patient? Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Is your love easily angered? Gulp, right? It keeps no record of wrongs. Does your love keep records of wrong? Love does not delight in evil. Does your love delight in people being hurt? But rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And so for us to have that love, we've got to say, God, change my definition of love. Let my love be like that love given in the Word. Isn't this exciting? Oh, yeah. Amen. Great. Okay. Let's talk about joy. I'm not talking about the person joy, but joy. Luke chapter 2, 8 through 14. Uh, the, the, the scriptures there, I'm just going to read, I'll just read part of it. But we read this last week. The shepherds were out in the field. The angels come to them. And then the angel says, he says, um, uh, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men on whom His favor rests. So God says, I want to give joy. I want to give peace. Now remember, in this time, when these shepherds were here, this was near Bethlehem. And, and if you've got to remember, the times... During Christ's birth were bad days. These were dark days. And, and so the, the Jewish people had not really had a real word from a prophet or, or a manifestation for God for over 300 years. Can you imagine that? And of course then, the, the uh, Roman Empire controlled most of the known world and they just conquered people with their army and whoever stood in the way, they just chopped them down and then took over. And then on top of that, the, the Caesars and, and the Roman Senate had set up a puppet king named Herod. Remember, Herod was, was homicidal. Herod had one of his wives killed. He had, uh, I think, three to five of his own sons murdered because he was afraid that they were trying to take his power. So this puppet king was set up by the Roman Empire. And so here, imagine this kind of thing. Tax was crazy. World, the, the world was crazy. There was violence. Imagine an angel appears to you. You're working in the shop. You're, you're in the lab. You're driving. You're uh, somewhere out. And an angel of the Lord says, Hey, great news. Great joy is coming. A Savior is born today. Imagine. In, in this world where the Jewish people, they were waiting for the Messiah. And an angel comes. And that, that would bring joy. Amen? And the angels are announced. This is joy for all people. And you see, we're, our world is also sometimes dark. Right? I mean, my goodness. I just... Last night, I got on the internet before I was going upstairs, going to bed, and it said that two police officers were, were murdered. I'm thinking, Lord, this is, this is not peace on earth. I mean, this is, this is not joy. And you know, again, you hear about people being beheaded and persecuted in other parts of the world and all this terrible stuff. It's like, Lord, we need joy. And I want to read to you, this is out of Habakkuk, and this is out of the book, and I love how the message says this, but check this out. Do I have it up here? Let's go to the next scripture, Habakkuk 3, 17-19. Check, check out how the, the message reads. I want you to see this. Though the cherry trees don't blossom and the strawberries don't ripen, Though the apples are worm-eaten and the wheat fields stunted, though, though the sheep pens are sheepless and the cattle barns are empty, I'm singing joyful praise to God. Check it out. 
I'm turning cartwheels of joy to my Savior God. Counting on God's rule to prevail, I take heart and gain strength. I run like a deer. I feel like I'm the king of the mountain. This is the message. Now, that's really not too far off the original language. So let me give you a little story about Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a contemporary to Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And Josiah was the, the, the boy king. He became king at eight years old. And then a spiritual revival had come to the children of, of, of God. And, and so there was this revival. And as just like any and many people, the revival began to wane. And they began to worship other things and other gods. And they began to start thinking that they're the ones that made their lives. And so God began to send these prophets to them. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, and, and other prophets have come. Daniel was alive at this time uh, in, in what we call modern-day Persian, uh, or, or Iraq and Iran. Iran. And so, so this was happening and God was warning the people of Israel and Judah because they were falling away from God. They were turning from them. He was warning them, warning them, say, if you don't stop, you're going to go to exile. You're going to, you're, you're basically, the temple's going to be destroyed. The nation is going to be taken over and you're going to be exiled to a foreign country. And so then it was a decline. And, and again, people started doing what they wanted to do and, and the world was getting darker. And so, so Habakkuk knew this and, and he began to see these people doing that. But in all of this, as, as God's hand began to pull away and the cherry blossoms didn't blossom, the strawberries didn't ripen, the apple trees were, were worm-eaten, the fields were stunted, the sheep pens were sheepless. I mean, think about that. If all of a sudden your company says you're fired and all of a sudden all the farmers start saying, you know what, there's no more corn in the fields. There's no more strawberries. There's no more apples. There's no more cattle. No more hamburger. No more steak. No more good things. Habakkuk says, in spite of all this, I'm doing cartwheels because of God's mercy. And you think, man, what is wrong? That dude must be drinking the temple wine. Right? Come on. No, he had a deep-seated joy to say, I don't care what's happening. My faith is in God. And His love and faith are, are secure. And I'm anchored in that. Even in perilous times, you see, even in our days and age, I see so many believers are still worried about this world falling apart. And it's going to fall apart, eventually. But then God's going to bring joy and peace. But there are people now that don't live in joy. I mean, every time they say something about the market, I I mean, believers, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, you know, all the housing, all the jobs, oh, you know, it's like, where is your joy? Is your joy in God? And I, and I love the Hebrew. It's, it, it says, let me get this. And I, I don't have the exact words, but, but the Hebrew words for, for joy, uh, this is awesome. Joy and rejoice. Joy means to spin around in gladness. Do you remember when you were a kid when you used to spin around in gladness? Oh boy, I get to eat dinner tonight. Woo! 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 Right? Some of you were spinning around, you Redskin fans, you were spinning around going crazy yesterday, I bet. And, and then it says, it says jumping for joy. Do you remember the last time you jumped for joy? When's the last time you jumped for joy? You've got to get that childlike faith again. You've got to unwrap this gift of God because you're going to heaven. Wow, yeah, woo, yeah, yeah. No, I'm a Christian. I've grown up now. I, I don't do that anymore. You're lost because you're going to go to heaven. You've got Jesus the Messiah. You've got His, his strength, His peace, His healing, His power, His teaching, His truth, His joy. Thank you. A couple of you getting excited about this. That's great, Pastor. Come on. Hurry up and get done. I'm joyful. Amen. Man, that's great. How does that help me work tomorrow? If your faith is in God, it doesn't matter what happens at work. Come on, amen? 
God is God. He's the giver of all good things. Amen? Here's what Philippians 4 says. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell, tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Rejoice, amen? For you to have joy, you've got to start unpacking it. You've got to start saying, you know what? Yeah, maybe I got laid off. Maybe I didn't get that thing. Maybe this didn't happen, but I'm still joyful because God still loves me. You've got to unpack it. God can't make you... Ever like, you ever make, try to make you know, someone worship? Yeah. You know, come on, worship the Lord. That's great. You know, and God can't do that to you. you when you don't come in here joyful, you're hurting yourself. It's like that son who threw the Bible at his dad with that gift, and the gift was in the Bible. And you come into worship. There's no joy in this church. Yeah, there is. It's just not in you. Can I preach it nicely? Your joy's got to come out. You've got to unwrap the gift, amen? You can't get joy from worrying, from fear, from the world, but you can get it from God. A real joy. The fourth thing, isn't this great stuff? Peace. Peace, for Isaiah 9, 6, 4, Unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I love this. Peace is not an absence of trouble or conflict, but it's a confidence in God's power in conflict. You see, we think peace means no conflict. And that's sometimes truth, but in God's definition, peace is In conflict, I am with you. In troubles, I am your rock that you can always stand on. Isn't this awesome? And in a world filled with anxiety, conflict, loneliness, suffering, injustice, many long for peace. And many long to be made complete and whole in life. And this is available through God, through Jesus, the Prince of Peace. So this morning, for you to have peace... You've got to calm yourself. And, and all of us go, there's times when I start getting stressed, I start getting worried, I'm thinking, Lord, help me calm my spirit. Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. Get my eyes focused on you. Get my life on you. John 14, 26-27, But the comfort, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything. I've said to you, Verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That is the peace of God. And we all struggle with, with troubles. Man, I could lose this or this is going to happen or, or this or that. And God says, let the peace of God reign in your hearts and don't be afraid. Don't live in fear. Don't fear tomorrow. You see, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. He teaches you. He's the comforter. It says He's the counselor. The world tells us to be troubled and to be afraid. God says, don't be troubled. And the only way for you to do that is to unwrap that gift and say, I choose this peace, not the peace of the world, which is here today and gone tomorrow. That depends on man and depends on circumstances. And regardless of the circumstance, God is my peace. And sometimes, you see, sometimes as we are receiving peace, we've got to grow through this. And during the board meeting the other night, we were talking about, I think Lawrence said it, he says, I thank God for adversity. Because it makes us grow up. It makes us trust. And so sometimes conflict or, or difficult times come so you and I will grow, that our peace will become stronger. In fact, the Latin poet Horace lays down the axiom, this is big words, that, that adversity has the effect of eliciting talents 
which in prosperous circumstances would have lain dormant. In other words, sometimes the gifts of God are laying dormant in your life because struggle has not brought them out. Hard times have not brought out your faith. And so sometimes peace comes out of struggle. Peace comes out of conflict. Peace comes out of enduring through tough times. The next thing, number five, is hope. Kind of going on that same vein of, of joy. James 1, 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So you want joy, you want hope, then allow God to grow up you through tough times, through difficulties, through times that aren't always exciting, sometimes that are, that are exciting. Then the next scripture, James 1.12. It says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. That should be our striving. Come on, the crown of life, amen, that Jesus offers us. You see, people of of this time, of of about the, the birth of Jesus, they were hoping for the promised Messiah. Many hoped on and they believed on and he would come. And this hope sustained them through these dark ages, through these centuries of of quietness. And this kind of hope is still available to you. This is the Christmas message. Amen? So whatever you're going through this morning, I'm going to challenge you. Unwrap the gift. Say, God, things in the world may not be hopeful, but I have hope in you. Because you are coming to take me back again. This world is not my home. Amen? The Democrats and Republicans aren't going to rule forever and, and be confused forever. I mean, amen? Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? There is hope in Him. There is joy in Him. There is peace in Him. And I don't have time, but I would like you to read Hebrews 11 sometimes. It talks about the people of faith, by faith, and what they did. It says, it says in the last part of Hebrews 11, it says that many of them waited for better promise. They allowed themselves to be persecuted because they knew there was a greater promise in heaven. And you know what? I'm, I'm sad to say, but I don't see a lot of that kind of faith in America. We want the instant God bless me now and if things don't go our way, we start whining like kids. I'm guilty of that at times. And here these, these followers of Christ said, hey man, I'm going to wait for the promise in heaven. And of course James, and I, and I don't have time, but write this down, James 12, 1 and through 3, it talks about fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It says that there's a cloud of witnesses. If you've ever, ever played sports or done a concert, it, there's nothing more exciting than when the crowd doesn't cheer for you, right? There's nothing more encouraging when, when you play a great piece of music and everyone just stares at you, right? Isn't that exciting? That's, you're like, what? I mean, there's nothing more exciting if you play an athletic thing or you do a concert and there, the crowd goes crazy. And you've got to imagine that there is a witness of cloud of those who've gone before us and they're cheering us on. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Come on. You've got to unwrap this. It's worth it. The hard times that you're going through, which you think are really bad, they're not as bad. It is worth it all. And they're saying, hey, keep keep your eyes on Jesus. You're going to win every time. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus right now, friends. And endure these tough things. And write down Hebrews 12, 7-11. It says, endure hardship as discipline. Sometimes God has to discipline us. No one likes that. But He says, I want you to mature. There was a little boy who was so crippled that he could not open his Bible. People had to open it for him and turn the pages. And he always had the Bible before him. And this, this man asked him, he said, he, he said, the boy said, I like reading the Bible. And the man said, why do you like reading? Because it tells me about Christ. 
And so the man asked him, do you think you've believed on Jesus Christ? And let me read the words to you. The boy said, yes, I do. The gentleman asked him, what makes you think so? And the boy responded, because he enables me to suffer my afflictions patiently. This boy went through, he could not open his Bible. Can you imagine living life that someone had to do that stuff for you? But someone would turn the page and he read the Bible and says, I have Jesus in my life and I can endure all things. So the joy of God is here for you, but you have to unwrap it. Number six, purpose. I'm getting down to the end. Aren't you excited? Number six, purpose. By sending his son to, to reconcile us to himself, God demonstrates his desire to reach out to us and to call us into friendship with himself through Christ Jesus. I talked about this a little bit last week, but I want to remind you again. You weren't saved just to go to heaven. You were saved for a purpose. Everything God creates, and he does it for a purpose. Aren't you glad for that? How many of you love spiders? A couple of you. Man, spiders are creepy, but you know, spiders are good in your house. Except for when they bite you. I mean, that's bad spider. But spiders keep other bugs out of your house. Isn't that awesome? Spiders are great, like in that movie Home Alone. I mean, I love that where, where the, the kid puts that big tarantula. You know, I mean, anyway, love Christmas movies. And so, 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 so God has a purpose for that. Even mosquito. Well, I don't have a purpose, but that, those must, that was from the fall. But you see, God has a purpose for everything. He has a purpose for your life. Isn't this exciting? Ephesians 2, 8 through, 9 through 10, 8 through 10. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Check this out. Verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, God says, wherever you're at, you have purpose. You're, you sell stuff. You build things. You're a scientist, whatever. You're a musician. Whatever you do, it is for purpose to bring life to people. Isn't this exciting? Come on, right? You see, many people go through life never knowing their purpose in life. Or being told by society, well, you, you are this. And really God said, no, you should have been this. This is what I really created you for. You go to this job, you hate it, but you really want to do this job. Maybe you should say, God, this is where I want to be. This is where you created me. You see, you were created for a purpose, amen? And I want you to, to live a life. You see, Rick Warren in, in one of his books says there's three, there's three levels in life. There's survival mode. This literally is just making it life. Maybe just barely surviving or barely eating. The, the, the second uh, mode in life is success. This is living for success, but yet you're empty inside. Oh, how many times you and I have heard of stories and how many times have I as a pastor met and talked with people and they've, th- these people have had everything, what we would think of success, but they're empty inside. Their, their life is a, is a shamble. Their family is falling apart. And they would say, and I've had people say, we lived in the big house. We had all the money. We had the big, and I would trade all that to get my family back again. You see, the world says, if you have all that, you are all that. And those who have all that, they are not all that because they're empty inside. And so there's survival mode, there's success mode, and then finally there's significance. This is a life that is lived to serve God and others. And even through success and surviving the goal is not just for yourself, but to say, how can I make life better for other people? You see, you may be successful at a business. And at that business, maybe you sell items or, or you're good at stuff. Your goal is to keep doing your best so you can help those around you. If you own a company, you're a boss, your job is to help your people. If you work for a company, your job is to help that company. If you're a teacher, you're to teach with full gusto for the Lord. If you serve, you just flip hamburgers, you're doing it for Jesus. Come on, Amen. It's for a purpose. Dave, Dave uh, the guy that founded Wendy's, I, I used to eat there a lot. I don't eat there a lot now. Uh, but, uh, you know, what's the guy's name? Dave what? Thomas. 
Dave Thomas, he, he had a dream from God that he was going to feed the world. His purpose was to feed the world. And hamburgers are good sometimes, right? All right. Yes, praise God. Significance. The question is this, it says here, it says in, in, in Ephesians 2, 8, 10, we were created for purpose. I read earlier in, in the earlier scriptures that it says that we are co-heirs with Jesus. And when you go to school, when you go to work, where you're at, you're like, I just answer phones, then do it for Jesus. Do it with a purpose. Come on, amen? You were created for a purpose. Your life should count. The last one I want to talk about is forgiveness. This is a gift that all of us struggle with. Either we, we don't feel God's forgiveness. The Bible says in 1 John, uh, it says that uh, in verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and forgive us of all our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. If we've claimed we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His word has no place in our lives. But I like verse 9 right now. It says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. You see, some of you in this room think, God can never forgive me. Yes, He can. He gave his life on the cross and he shed his blood so that you can be forgiven of sin. And the enemy is doing all that he can to make you feel like, you know what, Pastor, you don't understand, I did this bad thing. I'm a bad person. And that's exactly what the devil wants you to believe this morning. You've got to get over that and say, Jesus, I am forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And, and Satan, I'm also forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And you cannot hold this over me anymore. I don't know about you, but you should get ticked off that he is manipulating you. See all that bad stuff you did ten years ago, five years ago, five minutes ago? You say, you know what? I'm under the blood. Lord, forgive me. I'm clean now. Satan, get out of my face. In Jesus' name. This, there are some of you in this room, you are still struggling. And for you to receive this gift, you maybe have to confess your sin. Or you need to say, you know what? I am forgiven. I am forgiven. Amen? The Bible says that the, basically the concept is he has washed us of our sins. And he doesn't hold us guilty of it anymore. And you're the one. I, I remember there are times, I mean, there are still times. I'm driving. And, and I think about some stuff that I did. And there's this one thing that I, that I think about that I, that this, this attitude I had towards my dad. You know, look, teenagers, isn't it awesome? And I had this attitude towards my dad. And he reciprocated it back to me. And I just remember the hurt. I thought to myself, I did that to my dad. How foolish of me to do that. And I, and I still think about, gosh, what a loser I was. And I started, and like, wait a minute, God forgave me. I asked my dad for forgiveness, and I asked for God forgiveness. Satan, get out of my head. Get out of my mind. Get, get out. And you see, some of you, you're reliving this thing that you did years ago. You've got to get over that if you've asked for forgiveness. And you've got to say to the devil, hey, devil, I'm forgiven of that. Get out of my face. I'm forgiven. Amen? You see, the next thing then is, some of us are struggling with unforgiveness is we cannot forgive someone who's done something bad to us. And the devil uses us more in the church than I've seen any other sin. That any other pain is leaving us in a place where we cannot forgive those who have wronged us. And basically, Jesus said, if you cannot forgive your brother, the God in heaven will not forgive you. And there are people, maybe even in this church, that someone sat in your pew. Someone was called to a ministry before you were. Maybe, maybe they were pat on the back or, or something happened and you now have not forgiven them. And you're thinking, man, I'm going to get back at them and I'm, going to just, I'm not going to be nice to them. I'm not going to serve in the church. You know, the only person you're hurting is yourself. You ever notice that? Having unforgiveness in your heart, a bitterness in your heart, it never hurts the other person. It only hurts you. And you see, there are many in the Christian church, the, the followers of Jesus, who hold on to this unforgiveness. My, my mom did this to me. My dad, the, the co-worker did this to me. Uh, you know, you don't understand, Pastor. And maybe I don't understand, but I do understand this, that Jesus can set you free from that. 
And many of you, you're still living in pain of the past. And God is saying, man, you've got to unwrap this gift of unforgiveness. You've got to let go of that pain because that's exactly what the devil wants you to do. As I said earlier, Jesus was abandoned by his disciples. One of them betrayed him to death for 30 pieces of silver. And yet Jesus still said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then in, as I have the scripture, uh, I, I skipped it. Guys, go back to Matthew 6, 14 through 15. Forgive, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And for you to be forgiven, you've got to forgive. How do you get this forgiveness? You've got to say, God, help me. I'm having a hard time. I'm having a hard time. I've been there. I still go through life sometimes. I, Lord, I, I don't want to forgive them. They were maliciously evil towards me. And I, I'm reminded that Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Think about what Jesus went through. His, his disciples abandoned him. He was beaten by the temple guards. Then he was beaten by the Praetorian, the, the Roman soldiers' uh, elite. Then he was, had to carry the cross. He was spit upon. He was beaten more. He was laughed at. He was mocked at. He, the, two of the thieves, one of these came to him, but what, they mocked him. And then he still says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen, in the Bible, when he was martyred for Jesus, he said, forgive them. That is a real gift. And you see, some of us, we struggle. And you've got to say, God, Lord, help me to forgive people like Jesus forgave. To, to be forgiven.